Luke chapter 13, I think we'll put it up on the screen. I don't have any other slides but this one for you. It's been that kind of a week. Uh, But you can read along here, Luke chapter 13, verse 1. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. I just remind you, this is Jesus speaking. This isn't an Old Testament prophet. This is Jesus. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Title of this message is uh, Look in the Mirror. Look in the Mirror. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we invite you to just come and speak. Lord, what do you want to say to us? We want to hear your voice. Jesus, we trust you as the one with the words of life. And this passage of scripture, what do you, what do you want to say to us? Holy Spirit, what do you want to what do you want to say? Father, we take a stand now against how the enemy might try to use your word, even as the enemy came to Jesus and twisted the word. Holy Spirit, would you come and just bring life and animate the words of Jesus? Make them come alive in us and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I uh, preached a message that was inspired by a vision or a prophetic picture that I received the first morning that I was at Staff Advance. So we had two days last week at Staff Retreat and then two days Staff Advance and looking forward to the year ahead. And we're in worship in the morning and I had this prophetic picture and I'm not the most prophetic tool in the in the toolbox all right I'll just say that but I I knew that in this picture that I was seeing that God was speaking to me something about the church something about our church but something about the church in the earth in this hour there was something about this that yeah you could say there's this is this is timeless but there's something that is significant about this word and at this time And so uh, I I preached this word last week uh, from this vision uh, and actually from Mark chapter 8 where Jesus says that we're to lay down our lives for the two most important things, Jesus and the gospel. But I I, I got a little bit more insight, I felt, this week in the presence of God and and just as I'm pondering and thinking about all that, that, that was happening in my week this week. And... There was some new meaning coming to me from this word, uh, from this prophetic picture. Now, let me just share the picture with you again in case you weren't here last week. I saw in worship, uh, worshiping Jesus, <clears throat> just, just worshiping as you do, and uh, I saw Jesus standing there at the front of the room, and there were two things that he was holding. In one hand, he was holding a smelter's pot, 
Uh, a smelter is a purifier of precious metal. And the pot is the, the pot <laughs> that they put the silver and gold precious metals into. And then they heat that pot up, right? The fire underneath and the heat causes uh, the dross, the impurities, the lead, what other, whatever other metals are making this precious metal less precious, less pure, heats it up, rises to the top, and then the smelter skims them off the top, and he re continues repeating the process until there is perfect purity in this gold or silver. That was in one hand. In the other hand was a... Uh, that Jesus was holding was a sword. And there's, you know, the sword is, in Scripture, can be, uh, I guess, a picture of a lot of different things, or a couple different things. But whenever Jesus is speaking of a sword, it speaks of, uh, the, first of all, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, right? Uh, there was a sword coming out of his mouth, referencing the Word of God in, in Revelation. Jesus spoke about bringing a not, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. This sort of separation between light and darkness. And so God is speaking to me out of this, and I begin to have these thoughts of how, really, uh, God is doing two things amongst us. The first is He is purifying us as His people. Uh, he, he, he is making us holy in the way that we live to align with what He has already declared over us. There's a difference between our positional holiness and the walking that out in how we live on a day-to-day -day basis. Burning away, as the smelter does, all the dross of idolatry, all the impurities, all the mixture, all the other things that we go to to meet the deep needs of our heart. That's the smelter's pot. But then he's bringing uh, the word. He's He's bringing a separation. He's bringing like a redemptive judgment. And that judgment is coming first to the church. Jesus said, again, Matthew 10, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He's metaphorically speaking about bringing this distinction between light and darkness. Those who truly accept his message and those who maybe just say that they accept his message. And wasn't that exactly what Jesus did with the Pharisees? Calling them out, separating them out. No, 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 whoa, whoa. Don't, don't be listening to, to, to the whitewashed tombs over here. Okay, don't just, we, we don't just want to care about what people are saying, but how they're actually living and what they are doing. Then later, Peter says uh, in 1 Peter 4, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, before revival is ever going to come to the world around us, revival has to first come where? To the church, to our own hearts. Our own hearts have to be revived. And so there's something that God is doing in the church, and therefore because we're the church, amongst us in this season, purifying and using His Word to separate, to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Remember that passage, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, whatever that part means. I haven't really worked that, one, that little phrase out. And judging the thoughts and the intentions 
of our hearts. And so when we speak about revival, of course, we mean something more than just the emotion of an exciting meeting. In history, when there have been great revivals, sure, there is emotion, but it's emotion that comes out of a brokenness before God, a recognition of sin in light of His holiness, and a, and a confession of sin and a crying out to Him to make us as Your people, Lord, holy, and to to just lift our voice and saying, we want nothing more than we want you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And out of that uh, longing for him and out of that strong, uh, revived heart and devotion, we just start sharing Jesus with people and other people start getting saved. And that's what revival is. And so Jesus here, is saying to us that I don't want you to just look at the way that people, look, look at what people are saying, and don't even think about from your own perspective and your own holiness what you're saying, but how you're actually living. If we look at any leader throughout history who has ever had any fall in any way, it's helpful for us to look at those situations with a little bit of humility and think about how if we were ourselves in the same situation that that person was in with the same charisma and the same personal anoint, you know, power uh, and, and anointing, and if I had that and also had the same target on my back from the enemy that that person had, would I have ended up in an, any different situation or outcome than they would have ended up in? It's easy for us to, like the people in Jesus' day, to be, you know, looking at the calamity in someone's life and pointing the finger of, of why this, these people were murdered, why this tower fell, and to say, uh, there must be something evil about them. And so in Luke 13, we see uh, Jesus saying, essentially, Look in the mirror. Don't just point the finger. Look in the mirror. And he's referencing these two current events of his time. There were two tragedies that happened in Jesus' day. One was um, when Pilate murdered a bunch of people in Galilee who were worshiping at the temple. And then there was this tower in Jerusalem that fell on 18 people and killed them. And the response of the Jewish people their mindset was those people must have been the worst sinners in our nation. That's why this calamity fell upon them. And so Jesus is doing what? He's calling out their religious pride, and he's saying, unless you also repent, you're going to die. In other words, don't throw stones at those people because you are actually just as sinful and just as broken as those people are. And so Jesus is revealing in this passage that in our religious pride, we could call it, we might sometimes have the tendency to focus on the calamity of someone else and begin to imagine how dark their sin must be to have ended up in that situation and to have experienced that pain that they have experienced. And so Jesus responds 
to that prideful mindset. And he says, uh, he's reminding us that it would be very good for us not to imagine the depths of sin in someone else's heart, but imagine the depths of sin that you are capable of in your own heart. Don't be fixated on the cause of another person's calamity. Consider your own sin, the things lurking in the secret places of your own life, and bring those before the Lord and repent before Him. And so Jesus was most certainly speaking to His disciples in this moment, because what were they going to do? When Jesus left, they were going to be doing what? Leading the church. They're the, they're the ones that he's giving, he's giving his best time to them, and they're going to be the future leaders, which I think really highlights an important truth for us that the higher we go in leadership or the more that our charisma, our gifting from God creates and builds something for our lives, the more dangerous our shadow becomes. One of the books that um, all of us in our church, as we, as we raise up leaders, we have a, a group of people we catch up with every year and, and um, kind of like a leadership development group. And we go through a book called um, The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. And he talks about in this book this idea of the shadow. And it's really just a metaphor way of talking about there's this part of us that is uh, kind of where those things hide in our soul that we either don't see yet or that we're not willing to deal with yet. All right? Most often, I mean, it can be sin. Um, it, 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 it's that area of our life that uh, can be very problematic for us if we leave it uh, unaddressed. And the higher we go in leadership, the more dangerous those things uh, become. I, I recently heard uh, John Mark Comer, who's an author, he was a pastor before, uh, he said that being a pastor, and we could say apply this to just being a Christian, but he said this, being a pastor is uh, the one job in the world where you can do everything right and still get it wrong because you do it for the wrong reason. And it's true for all of us, right? We can have all of our good works and practice these things, but what really, the things that God is really looking at is the deeper part of our soul, is what is it that's driving us? What is the motives of our heart? And those are the things that we have to deal with early or else they get us into a lot of trouble later on in our lives. And so maybe a good question to ask for all of us, what, what is lurking, Holy Spirit, in the dark places of my soul that you want to bring out into the light? Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12 uh, reminds us that whatever can be shaken will be shaken. And when we build our life on and around those things that are lurking in the shadows that can be shaken, we are in great danger of going through shakings and difficulties in our life, or maybe it's temptations or this and that. We go through these shakings, and we could find that we come out of that season of shaking 
with very little to show for what we have been investing our life in in the previous season. Because the last thing we want to build is something with our lives that can be shaken, right? That which is of the kingdom is unshakable. That which Jesus is building. I've been meditating a lot about lately about how Jesus builds his church. Well, earlier in January, I just felt just to meditate on this passage, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And that is all we want. We just want, Jesus, you to build something amongst, and whatever you call us to do with our lives, we can all have these dreams and ambitions, but, but we really want just it to be an overflow of our passionate love and pursuit of Jesus and our desire to glorify him in every area of our lives, in our work, in, in our ministry, whatever it is that, that God has called us to put our hand to. And to do that out of the overflow of our love and devotion to him. But remember, we're not just talking about someone else right now. We're talking about ourselves. And so Jesus is saying to us, as a church, Numa Perth South, look in the mirror. Now James tells us that the mirror that we look into is not, uh, it's not a mirror of introspection. It's not a mirror of navel-gazing. It's the mirror of the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit in Jesus' hand is the mirror that we look into. So James says it this way, James chapter 1. Sorry, I don't have this one on the screen. You'll just have to listen. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, like a mirror, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. All right, don't be just a hearer that forgets. Be a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. And so the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God as a mirror in our lives in two ways. First, he uses the Word of God to show us what it is in the shadow of our soul that he is asking of us to bring out into the light and to repent. Where do we need to apply repentance in our hearts? And the second thing the Holy Spirit uses the word, uh, the, the mirror of the word to do, not just to show us what he's displeased with, but he uses the word as a mirror to reflect back to us who we really are in Christ. As those who have been made holy, who are loved, who are forgiven, who are new creations, and to stop seeing ourselves according to the flesh and our old pattern of living and start seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. And so those two things together is what makes up our journey of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, living in a way that pleases God. We look in the mirror of the Word. The Holy Spirit convicts our hearts, and He also renews our mind to think and realize who we really are. 
Are you with me? Does that make sense? And so we have to hold these two things in tension when we come to the word. We, we've been, we have been made holy positionally, but we are being made holy in practice in how we live. And that's a process. And sometimes that process is a little bit painful. Sometimes God heats things up in our lives just to see, okay, what, what's going to rise to the top here? What's not pure? What sh needs to be skimmed off? What can be shaken? To switch metaphors here, what, what, when the shaking of life comes, uh, what, what is still going to remain after the shaking is finished? So Jesus says, look in the mirror. Can I just finish by giving you some insight into how the Holy Spirit uses the word in my life to make me more like him? Let's take the many passages about sexual purity. Paul tells Timothy to flee youthful lusts. Uh, Jesus said himself, um, you've heard that it was said, you know, that it's wrong to commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And women, there's an application for you as well. We're not leaving you out of that passage. Don't worry. And so when I am on Instagram, can we just be super real right now? When I'm on Instagram and I find myself uh, lingering too long on an image that is sexually inappropriate, what do you think happens in that moment? The Holy Spirit is looking for the reservoir of his word in my heart from where I've looked into the mirror and he's saying, son, no, that's, that's not who you are. That's not holy. You need to repent. Turn from that. What, what is it that you're going to? Or God forbid, if I'm in a moment of weakness uh, and stress and I'm just looking for certainty and I go to the Instagram search thing. Let's, let me see if I can just accidentally stumble on something that might be there. Oh, that was an accident. Lord didn't mean to see that. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're the one who's pushed on that search thing. And, and I saw exactly why you did that. Because I see everything in your heart. Okay, this is your pastor confessing his sin to you, right? These are the challenges that I deal with as uh, someone just trying to honor and obey Jesus just like any of you. What about when I'm fantasizing about how money is going to solve all my problems, there's this stupid lottery sign right next to my house every time I drive by it. The love of money grips me. And I start imagining. You know, I'm really sinning when I start punching that amount into my calculator. I'm like, all right, this percentage per year, this is what that would be. I'm like, what are you doing? Stop it. Holy Spirit reminds me in those moments. Son, you can't serve God in money. And there's been some moments in my life where I've learned that lesson the very, a very hard way. And some shaking came and there wasn't a whole lot left after that.
And so God revealed a lot about my heart in terms of the love of money. What about when I'm stressed or anxious and impatient with my kids? Hardly ever happens, right? But what I hear the Holy Spirit say when I, when I lose it, I yell at my kids, and what, what the Holy Spirit's coming and saying, what, what, what has he looked at in the mirror lately? What can I work with? Son, the, the, the uh, anger of man will not produce the righteousness of God in your life or in your family. And so Jesus is calling us to go to another level of giving the Holy Spirit something to use in our lives and having the sensitivity to his voice to be willing to respond to the things that he's saying. And it's a process. You don't wait, like wake up. I didn't wake up the day after being saved and all my lust went away. But I did wake up and start feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit when I did lust. And gradually, over the years, there's been more and more freedom that has come in my life. Sometimes in a very painful way of having to phone up a friend and say, can you pray for me? Because I searched something on the internet and looked at something I shouldn't have. This is where the family that God has called us to walk with is so crucial in our journey of sanctification. We don't just look in the mirror in solitude, but we look in the mirror as a covenant family, as those who've been called to walk in deep, transparent, vulnerable, honest relationship with one another. And we say, can you help me? Can you pray for me? Because in what kind of church culture is that easy to do? In one where nobody's saying, oh man, I wonder why this calamity is happening in my brother's life. What kind of sin must he be practicing? No, no. We're, we're, we're daily recognizing the Holy Spirit is speaking to me about the, the own, the, my own things that I need to grow in and bring out into the light. It's a church culture where we embrace the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus became sin for us. And it is impossible to achieve a righteousness through our good works. So we don't obey. I don't seek to stop uh, lusting so that God will love me and receive me. I seek to do that because God has already showered his love and acceptance upon me because of the finished work of Christ, having declared me to be righteous. And so I just am so thankful that I just want to please him. I just want to honor him. Jesus, I just want you to heal my every part of my soul. I just want you to make me holy because that's what pleases you. And I want to reflect you well in the earth. One of the indications that the smelter is ready to and knows that he's finished with the process of purification is what? He can look down into that pot and see his own reflection. And so Jesus wants to look into the mirror of our own soul and see his image in us reflected back to him. 
That's what he desires. Jesus is wanting to look in the mirror. 